You're listening to TIP. And we think that especially the early part of 2023 will continue to be volatile. I've been in this business a long time. Volatility is is a part of the market. Um, we get bear markets about on average every six years going back 80 years of investing. And so it's not unusual to have markets like this. Although sometimes investors who are relatively new aren't used to that. And that's just a part of investing. On today's episode, I'm joined by Mark Boyer, who is the president of Boyer Financial Services, and Jason Jacoby, who is a certified financial planner and a wealth advisor for the firm. During this episode, they discuss their current outlook for the market in 2023 and talk about the importance of getting in the game, investing early and often, and time-tested strategies that investors can use to weather any market cycle. We also talk about the importance of having a game plan and using that to determine what mix of assets is right to meet an investor's unique financial goals, along with a year-end checklist of things that investors should review in terms of their financial plan and strategy heading into this year, and so much more. I really enjoyed today's conversation. We cover so many great topics that are very timely heading into the new year, and so I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jason and Mark. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your hosts, Robert Leonard and Rebecca Hotsko, interview successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Welcome to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Hotsko. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Mark Boyer and Jason Jacoby. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you both for coming on today. Just so our listeners know who's talking throughout the episode, I was wondering if you could both start out by introducing yourselves and tell us a bit about what you do at Boyer Financial Services. Love to. And again, thanks for having us on here today. A pleasure to join you. We work with Boyer Financial Services, the company that's been around for uh, just about 20 years. And uh, a business that I had, I've been in the business since 1994 and started my own company in uh, 2002 in that time frame. So yeah, so history is we live in Southern California. I majored in finance and went to the U.S. University of Southern California, USC Trojans back in the day. I was a football player, played at USC and then went on to play eight years in the NFL. And then when I got out of football, I was looking for what I wanted to do next, but I went into financial advising, which is called me Coach Boyer too, some, some of my clients. And so we're working on those same things now, helping people navigate through their lives and their financial worlds, uh, helping them get to where they want to go, setting goals and creating game plans for people. So same kind of idea, kind of a sports analogy, but that's, that's kind of how we develop that. And, and uh, so that's that's who we are. And again, uh, been at it here. Jason joined uh, our firm. I'll let him explain his yeah, yeah. So thanks, Mark. But uh, so I got in the industry back in 2013 after I graduated college, uh, played football in college as well, but kind of really didn't know what I wanted to do graduating school, like a lot of millennials and, and Gen Z these days, right? But started at a Fortune 500 financial company, which was local in Newport Beach, California. I really kind of learned the industry because I had no financial background whatsoever. Uh, I was grew up in the hospitality industry, like hotels and restaurants. So long story short, got all my licenses that I needed that I didn't have at the time and then became a certified financial planner this past year, uh, which is kind of a, a fun way to round out our services. So we don't just do the investing piece. We do the financial planning piece as well, which is huge. And then the ongoing coaching advice and guidance side for our clients too. We're pretty hands-on. Yeah. And I want to dive into all aspects of that with you today, because to create a really holistic plan for ourselves and for investors who are doing it themselves, I think we sometimes forget about the planning aspect. But I do want to start off with markets. And what is kind of your current outlook and assessment for the markets going into 2023 here? Yeah, we've had a rough year. Obviously, this last year been really difficult. Um, you know, had a big run up into late 2021, and so based on all the things that were happening and coming out of COVID, we were not surprised, especially with the money that was added into the system, the the relief, and so forth. That and then as COVID ended, we weren't surprised that the markets had moved up pretty substantially. As we went into this year, we were very cautious. We knew that we were dealing with high multiples, and um, you know that uh, the market just looked to be 
like it was going, didn't expect it to go down and be as you know bad as it has been this year, but at the same time knew that there was going to, it was not, it doesn't go up every year, right? So there's just times where you have to be more defensive and adjust your portfolios and so forth. So this year has been really interesting, especially as we've been raising rates. Fed, just based on the recording here, just raised rates again yesterday, 50 basis points. So we expect the Fed to continue to raise rates going into this next year. The question is, and the concern is for us, is that they have a long history of, of overshooting in the past. You know, the Fed continues in their hawkishness. We're not sure they're looking at the right numbers necessarily. There's a lot of things that they're looking at that are lagging indicators. And thus, the concern is they'll continue to raise rates, albeit at a smaller or lower rate uh, going forward, but they are going to do it nonetheless. So, you know, after we get through the holiday seasons here and into the beginning of the new year, really feel like the consumer is going to pull back. They're going to they're going to pull back spending and mortgage rates are up and so forth. So it's going to be a challenge. And we think that especially the early part of 2023 will continue to be volatile. We're unprecedented. We're not I've, I've been in this business a long time. Volatility is is a part of the market. Um, we get bear markets about on average every six years going back, you know, 80 years of investing. And so it's not unusual to have markets like this. Although sometimes investors who are relatively new aren't used to that. And I know we're going to talk about that more later in the, you know, the behavior part. It's just hard to, you know, like I'm not used to money going, you know, my investment's going down. And that's just a part of investing because nobody really knows what tomorrow is going to be. So we think it's going to be more volatile, but it'll be really key, especially for folks who are investing to maintain their long-term perspective and kind of what their goals and, and what their purpose is and what they're investing and how long uh, how long they have. Because it's, it's going to be volatile here. We feel like we're entering a recession. If we're not in one already, which we can think we've been in a mild one, and the question will be is how deep it'll actually go. And Rebecca, if I could just piggyback off that for a second. So I don't know if the listeners know this, but usually when rates are, are increased, especially at the rate that they have been, it's not like that they go into effect tomorrow. It takes months at a time to bake into the economy. So even though the rates were raised yesterday, another 50 basis points, we're not going to feel that probably for another quarter at least. So we're already seeing the economy slow down. Like Mark said, if we're not already in a recession, we're most likely going into one here. Could be an inch deep, but a mile wide. So meaning it could have a longer duration, but uh, that's to be seen. Nobody knows kind of what the market's going to do in the short term. I mean, you saw today had a had a decent you know day yesterday. The market was pretty wild for a little while after the announcement. We were up, and then we were down, and then we're up again. And then today it was. I'm looking at the numbers right now. You know, two and a half percent on the Dow. S&P two and a half, and then the NASDAQ almost three and a half percent down today. So you're going to have these wild swings in the meantime as investors digest what's going on in the markets, specifically going into the new year. Yeah, that's a really good point that you mentioned with it taking that long leg time because it takes several quarters to kind of make its way through different parts of the real economy. And this gets into the first topic. Then what I wanted to talk to you about today is when we hear the importance of investing early and often, and the best way to build long-term wealth is to have more time in the market. But on the other hand, it's really hard to adhere to during these hard times times during these down markets, and especially if we expect it to persist, like you just mentioned, it could for the next couple quarters, the next year. So I guess I'm just wondering what advice do you have for our listeners who are maybe holding on to more cash right now? They're being defensive or sitting on the sidelines because they're just so uncertain of what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a scary time. I mean, like I said, it's no fun when when you feel like as soon as you invest some money, you, you lose 3% like we hit today, um, if that happens. So people, you know, again, you get pretty nervous. I think what we, we always stress is that you got to be in the game, though. Timing the market is more important than timing the market. Um, bottom line is, as you look at your situation, as you assess what your game plan is and what your purpose is for, again, the money that you're saving for, you're trying to do with those funds, whether it be retirement, could be long-term, right? It's interesting when you look at, speaking of retirement, you know, a lot of millennials watching this, right? So they got a long time to go for retirement. It's really interesting, run lots of studies and done some research on this. But as you look long-term, you know, if you were a person who invested 10,000 a year in the last 20 years and you had really good market timing and you happen to invest at the right time every year, that 10 grand, the, the market low, you would have a return the last 20 years of about 12.2%. 
But if you were like, I am sometimes where we can be where you're not necessarily making the best moves and you actually invest at the worst possible time, the high in the market, over the same 20 years, you would be about 10.3%, which is about a 2% difference longer over 20 years. Now that's big enough difference to matter because 2% over 20 years is, is a while, which we, you know, but at the same time, 10% a year is still pretty good. So point is, is that especially again, looking at your game plan, what is the, you know, what you're investing for, if it's retirement, it's, uh, you know, we recommend you be in the game. Um, it's diversification. Once you're in the game, it's having that game plan being able to diversify and so forth to be able to spread your money out so you can always have an all-weather portfolio. So, but you know what? Bottom line, Rebecca, is a lot of, you know, some folks, it's hard to get them to do anything at this point. But we, if anything, you should be dollar cost averaging into this market because you're not going to be able to know when those lows and when the time is. So another way to do is if you got some money over the next six months or so and you want to invest it, just do some, do a portion of it every month or so at that same time. And, and that's always helpful too. Yeah, just uh, you know, echo what Mark said. You know, I, I think one thing to mention, obviously, Mark mentioned time frame, the age of the investor, the the financial profile that we build out for each individual client is really important, and especially for do it yourself investors, right? If you're trying to buy a house, which right now with mortgage rates so high is probably not advantageous, but people that have cash sitting on the sideline where you could actually earn a pretty decent return, which you haven't been able to do over the past, uh, you know, at least a decade, you can put it into you know. A, a one-year T-bill and earn over 4%. And if you're on a shorter time frame, that probably makes the most sense. But like Mark said, with long-term money, you know the market is not only going to outpace inflation, but but do pretty well for you. 10% year over year is very attainable if you look at the history of the S&P. So. It's so interesting, Mark, that you mentioned those statistics because I actually did an episode a little while back now. It was called Time in the Market versus Timing the Market. And I referenced a study. It might have been the exact same one, honestly, that you talked about where if you're a perfect market timer, which is pretty much impossible to do, your returns aren't that much better than if you dollar cost averaged or you are a lump sum investor over the very long term. It matters in the short term, but not if you're an investor with a 20, 30, 40 year time horizon, which we're going to get into, but that is one of the main goals why we're all investing. It's to fund our retirement and those very long-term goals. And so these year-to-year fluctuations, they hurt, but in the grand scheme of things, if you remember your game plan, then it doesn't matter that much. But I do want to talk about asset allocation first with you and having the right mix of assets, because that's really important to our risk profile, but also just weathering these different market cycles. And so how would you guide someone in determining what asset allocation is suitable for them? It's case by case. Every person has a different objective and a different goal. Again, time in the market, right? If you look at one year periods of time, you put your money in a particular time of a year and a year later, you look at it. What's very interesting, you you basically have about a third of a chance that you'll be down on your... If you look at a long time frame, you'll have a 33% chance of having lost money over that period of a year. If you look at... If you go out three years... You know, it comes down to like 15% over five years, it's nine. And then over a 10 year period in a well managed investment portfolio, there's almost a zero times where you've actually lost money over that period of time. Even that even includes like they consider, you know, we talk about the lost decade, right? The 2000s, which I lived through from like 2000 to 2010, you know, that's um, the S&P was basically flat. A good managed portfolios, we can see and looking at history that actually did okay. And then again, it's diversification in that. So what we try to do in, in those situations, again, analyze the time frame we have. When you're managing money, the way you manage it is diversification, is reduce is risk. Another way is just, you know, having that time frame and determining what that is. And like Jason was just talking about, if it's a short-term time frame, you don't want to be in the market because you're you've a good chance, especially right now, we could be down a year from now. And that's still possible. We nobody knows. What Buffett said in 1988, like we have no idea where the markets will be a year from now. We don't even try to guess that because they just he continues to just stick to the investment principles that they believe long term and dividend growth, things like that. So it's really important in those places, in those situations to really analyze what your goal is and then have an asset allocation, whether that's long term, large cap equities, a balance with small caps, international, um, which a lot of people miss out on, which hasn't done that great here recently. But with a strong dollar and the chance that that comes back down, international could be a really good place to be, even though Europe and some of these places are not doing very well. 
if the market, if the dollar just comes down in value, I mean, you're going to benefit in those types of investments. So again, all weather portfolio, and don't forget fixed income. That's another place that this year has been an ugly, ugly place. And growth and income type portfolios this year with bonds have not been good because we have historic, <laughs> this year has been historically bad for bonds. But now with the interest rates where they are, they're looking like they could be more based on history, better uh, stabilizer in a portfolio. So we like that too. And even looking at the, again, back to the the lost decade. It was interesting to see that in that lost decade of the early 2000s, that bonds averaged about 5% a year over that period of time that, that S&P was flat. So again, if you got a diversified portfolio all weather, you're going to always find something in an up cycle um, that if you need money, that's what you're trying to do, diversification in all weather. Yeah. And just to piggyback off that, I, I think an interesting stat or interesting kind of asset class that we are market capitalization that we forget about is mid cap, right? It's a lot, a lot of time people talk about large cap, whether it's growth or value or blends or small caps, right? This, the companies like I always talk about like Amazon in, in the garage when, when Bezos started Amazon. There's companies that have potential to, to grow and be big money makers and be the next fang companies basically but if you look at mid cap equities they've actually outperformed large cap and small cap equities over 50 percent of the time so it's important to have a diversified portfolio regardless of age right don't put all your eggs in one basket uh, consider time frame like mark said and, and all those things but but having things that are even out of favor right now and having the foresight to hang through it and stick to it because even in an international like mark said currency plays a big role in that I mean, you're up in Canada, right? I mean, so you you understand that quite well, depending on where you travel to, right? You come to the US, you know, strong dollar, your money doesn't go as far. Whereas if we travel to Europe right now, you know, it's almost a one-to-one ratio with the Euro or the British pound. So it could compound your compound interest depending on where the currency is at that point as well. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, has built in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com MI. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash MI for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com MI for an extended 30-day free trial. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate out there, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing, 5.1% in APY as of March 26, 2024, and is subject to change. 
A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing member of FINRA-SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into a partner bank where they can earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. All right, back to the show. I think that's a really good topic that I wasn't planning on getting into today, but it's something that I haven't touched on yet on the show, the currency risk aspect of investing, because we have a lot of global listeners. And so when they're investing in U.S. equities or if a U.S. investor is investing in a foreign equity, can you talk a bit about that currency risk aspect of the investment? Yeah. So I think that, you know, again, we want in our situation, we're always looking at it from being mostly, like you said, U.S. investors who are looking outside to see what are opportunities in other parts of the world. And so, again, because of the dollar strength this year due to the world looking at the dollar as kind of the currency, um, there's been a lot of strength. The dollar has really rallied this year to highs that look to be longer term. Again, if you're looking at from a longer term perspective on the dollar, it looks to be pretty high. And we've seen even in the last six weeks or so that the dollar has pulled back and our international investing, those areas where we have those those funds are, you know, have really rallied. But at the same time, you're looking at it and they're, you know, as I look at it, I'm like, wow, the dollar, as it, it's going to come down, that's really a positive place. So we, in the last couple months, we've actually been adding to those international places in order to take advantage of that. Knowing that places like Europe and China and these, these areas, you know, there's not a lot happening in their stock markets. But even with that, again, even if the way they adjust and so forth, it's a matter of if the dollar comes down, it's really positive for us in the long term as it's held there. And, you know, multinational companies, I think most people forget about, even if you have a U.S. company, might have offices based all over the world, right? They gain profits from from different countries, whether it's Southeast Asia to Europe to South America, wherever it may be, right? So there's currency risk in all of their earnings as well. So when they're converting their, their earnings to a specific currency, it could be an additional headwind. So for example, you got a company, multinational companies outside the U or in the U.S. that also do business outside with a strong dollar when they're actually keeping or retaining their earnings or converting them to the U.S. dollar, it might be a little bit of a headwind, which means, hey, you know, might not have as much earnings as we thought we did. So it's also something to think about. So kind of playing into the recession theme, we're talking about less earnings means potentially layoffs, which just means less money to spend, uh, higher unemployment rates. It's It could spell more trouble if, if a strong dollar hangs around a little bit longer for U.S. companies, at least. Yeah, I think the largest companies in the S&P 500, I read that over 60% of the revenues is generated abroad. And so it really hurts them when the dollar appreciates this much. And for me and the Canadian listeners and people who aren't in the U.S., it's a struggle for us investing in U.S. companies when now that the dollar has risen so much, it makes me think, should I be hedging a bit of my portfolio, especially when U.S. still makes up a significant amount of my overall investments Do you have any thoughts on when it would make sense for an investor to currency hedge a part of their portfolio or does it not matter over the very long term? I think it depends on time frame, right? We kind of talked about that, but you're along in the long term and you see a company that's got great valuations comparative to what you could have gotten it a year or two ago. I think at that point, why not? But again, it just depends on the time frame. You got something short term. Again, we don't know exactly what's going to happen in the short term. Obviously, recently the dollar has fallen quite a bit just from what what his highs were. Now, is it going to stay like that? Depends, especially with the rest of the world kind of increasing rates at an equally aggressive pace. There's other value and attractive investment opportunities out there as well. But so I say over the long term, probably not too big of a deal, but in the short to intermediate term, be very selective with kind of the companies that you're going to be investing in, at least outside of your home country, right? Because it could, the currency hedge could play in your favor or potentially out of your favor. And I would say, I think that longer term, again, to Jason's point and answering your question, longer term, I think it all kind of plays out in a normal average um, in regards to, I think the returns come back to normal. You know, you get these highs and lows, but if your time frame is out there a ways, it, it sort of comes back to a median. I think that 
in this case right now, what's been interesting watching international, I remember in the late, in the 90s, when I start, first started in this business, international investing was sort of the, the thing to be in. And actually through the 90s, it was really popular and you were making money. And so as you built portfolios, you know, it's like, hey, you know, international, international. And then 2000s, whatever, all of it in that time frame, it began to really wane. And so that part of the portfolios has been really a lagger to the U.S. market. U.S. markets have really outperformed over the last 20 years, but that'll change at some point. And we don't know when. Again, you're watching the dollar. I think it gives you you know, that strength and trying to see if, if this is a top on that part. But there'll be a time where the international will, over a longer term, probably outperform the U.S. I don't know when that is. Might not be for a little while still, but... Again, it's another tool in your toolbox. It's another place for you to diversify where you can have an opportunity. And again, that would have been a more positive even in 2000, the last decade. I mean, international was slightly better than the S&P 500. So again, we don't know. Nobody really knows. You know, we like we, we think we're all smart and we got all the answers. But the bottom line is none of us really know what's going to happen tomorrow. So because of that, it's just important to be in the game and diversified and kind of watching some some signs of some opportunities, but don't get so caught up. Continue to make sure your portfolio is well balanced and all weather. And so I kind of want to move into some of the behavioral mistakes you see investors make because we're touching on getting in the game early and often. And on the flip side, then what are some of the biggest mistakes you see investors make that end up being quite detrimental to their long-term returns? Uh, there's a whole bunch of information on behavior finance. I mean, that's remarkable. I'll just, the biggest mistakes that people make is getting too, it's again, I think what Buffett says too, it's getting too greedy and getting too pessimistic. It's, uh, we have a tendency to get extremes on both ends of those. Uh, let me give you an example. I remember in the 1999, 2000, you guys are both pretty young, but I was in the business. <laughs> it was in two, you know, when the tech techs were just running and it was funny because, you know, I'd been in the business for about six years and working with people. But it was funny as the later the 1990s went, it seemed like very people that were pretty normal, had no background in finance. Um, They didn't really, you know, they maybe didn't study in school. They didn't do what we all, the three of us did, focus on it and really spend every day, hours of our days working on these things. There was people that were just working normal jobs. And all of a sudden they were day trading and making tons of money just because they bought a dot-com stock. And and it was just like, and the market just was running. You really couldn't make a mistake in those times. So you had, and I'll give you a quick story. In about 2001, in that period of time, my mom, who was, she was about 86 at the time, and she grew up in the Depression. Her and my dad, World War II, he was a World War II vet. And so they, they walked through a lot of tough stuff and never in their lives had they, once they went through the Depression and coming out of that, there was no way they had any interest in the stock market. But she had asked me for help when I first got my licenses. I was working. So I had put her in some stuff and we, you know, she had some stocks, but she didn't really understand what it was. But anyway, one day my wife and I and our two young kids, we went over to dinner and had us over and, and mom's talking and she starts talking about there's a guy at, at her church who is trading stocks. And he says, Mark, I need to be in stocks and buying dot com companies and all this kind of stuff. And she, she said, I, th- I think it's time, you know, I think it's time for me to do that because it sounds like everybody's making money. And I was like, what? I mean, my 86-year-old mom's talking about buying stocks. She has no idea what she's talking about and she doesn't understand it. And I said, look, mom, you're in a diversify. I got you in some stocks. We're not, you know, blah, blah. I kind of explained to her and she says, okay, Mark, I trust you, whatever. But I, my wife and I walked out in after dinner and went to the car and I said, I said, babe, I think we're at the high of the market. And she says, why? I says, because when my mom wants to buy stocks, there's no more buyers left. Right. I mean, there's there's nobody out there. Everybody's bought. So it's just and I wish at the time I, you know, looking back, I wish I have even believed what I, I thought, because that was the beginning of a downtrend, because people, you know, when everybody's greedy, when there's no more, you get to a place where there's no more buyers because everybody's in. And then that's just the sign of a top. And it happens on both ends. We make the biggest mistakes of buying at the top. And the other mistake is selling at the bottom, which is it just happens. It's part of the behavior of finance. It's just that is the two biggest mistakes. And you got to take the emotion out of investing. And that's one of the areas I've, I've seen over my many years in this profession of seeing people make those mistakes. So um, part of our job is to kind of keep them level and level headed, all these things. And so but there you still run across that those behaviors. 
It's so funny that you mention that story because it's so true. We hear that when everyone wants to buy and everyone feels like they're a genius, that is when you know to get out and it's a top and it's just so anecdotal, but it's funny how it can be quite precise at times. And I think we saw that with the crypto bubble and everything. And so I think that in terms of behavior, it's hard because we learn from history. A lot of our listeners are well-informed with all of this, but it still hurts seeing it. And it's, I still fall victim to it where it's, I know about market cycles and history, but yet it's still hard. And that's why implementing a rules-based approach so you don't emotionally buy or sell can really help in the long term, I think. Yeah. And I think that's why the discipline of staying consistent is finding ways to stay consistent in what you do. Here's one of the great examples is like 401ks, right? You're at work and you just every two weeks or every month, a percentage of your paycheck goes in a, an account, right? And that's like, it doesn't matter where you're not, you're not thinking about it. The problem is, is that when people start trying to time it, even in those places, because that's really perfect. That's a perfect situation. If you got to, you know, if you're just continuously putting money in on a regular basis, that dollar cost averaging can really be positive for you. It's when we try to, we get our, again, our emotions get into it and we can really hurt ourselves. I mean, it's crazy how much you can hurt yourself by getting too emotional and making those wrong decisions at the wrong time. And it's tough. It's tough, right? Because human emotion, it plays a, such a big part in our everyday lives. So investing, it's easy to say, like Rebecca, you were saying, it's, you know, we, but we all know like the, the historical performance charts. We all know time-tested investment strategies. That's why you, you do what you, you do. We do what we do. We fall victim to it on our personal accounts, you know, sometimes, but our backgrounds, how we were raised to, I have clients that watched their parents lose a lot of money and whether it was the dot-com bubble or whatever it was, who are now terrified to be in the equity markets, right? Because it's what they've seen. And it's a personal experience. Investing is a very personal thing. It doesn't seem like it, but it's very, very personal. So if we can remove ourselves from that, and that's why even I think it's important as financial advisors for us to have even other financial advisors manage your money because it, you're going to get emotional about your own money. So whether I have you know Mark look at my stuff or whatever, whoever it may be, it's very important to have somebody that can say, hey, you know, let's not jump off a cliff here. You know, I know it's a normal human interaction or reaction, but stick with the game plan. Stick with the portfolio. You bought this for a reason. You're a smart person. Let's just ride it out. That is great advice. I wish I had the data in front of me, but... I remember reading where if you missed, say, like the best 30 days right after, or sorry, like after a down market, 20 days later, you would have missed out on all the best returns. And so we think we can time things correctly and we'll just wait till things get a little bit better. But it's way more likely that you're going to miss the bottom and then you're going to miss all the best returns on the way up. And that is what we saw during COVID, where I think it took 30 days to go from the bottom to all time highs or maybe just a little bit over 30 days. And so it's very, very quick. You're so right, Rebecca. The biggest updates, the biggest days of gains come after the biggest loss days right? Like you just said, it's it's time tested, it's proven. Uh, so like you said, if you try to time it or you're, you can't stomach it anymore, you get out and then you try to time it on the way up, it's 99.9% it of the time doesn't work out. So that's very, very true. I was just going to say, I think it's really important. I, I think about, I mentioned earlier about a back my background in sports. And I, I think um, anyone who's played any kind of sport, doesn't matter what it was, mine was football, but there were times in a game where the tensions were high, might have been the, oh, you're down by a touchdown with two minutes to go. And we all love watching those games where you watch a quarterback who, you know, or somebody like who the star of the team who's kind of got to take control, right? And kind of keep their emotions in check. They got to be able with the crowd going nuts and TV audience and the whole bit to take that pressure and to be able to still do the little things and make the plays to get to be successful in the long term. We love that story. We love this, that cool, calm, collected quarterback or whatever, right? And we love that, watching it, but man, that's hard to do. It's just, it's, it's difficult. And that's why there's probably so few people that can do those things. But I think as investors, really successful investors, it's really, really important to have that same time, that same mindset to be 
to stay cool, calm, and collected. Again, remembering the little things that you need to continue to do. So, you know, you've been practicing those things and when nobody's watching, but you stick to it. And again, those small disciplines that are really, really important long-term. So we love watching it. That's what I hope every investor on this podcast, you know, for our clients, we want them to stay that way because it's, you're going to be, you're going to be okay if you can, you can hang and keep those emotions in check. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate out there, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing, 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024, and is subject to change. A high yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing member of FINRA-SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into a partner bank where they can earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither Public Investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. I think that was super helpful advice. And I want to talk about your game plan that you've kind of referenced a few times now today and how our listeners can think about building theirs or if they have one, making sure that they've done all the steps and processes right to make sure that they're set up for success in the long term. Because as we were talking about before, a lot of our common goals as investors are these very long term ones, whether it's retirement or just whatever is in the future to fund our future life that we want. And so what are some things, the most important steps or processes that you think investors should take to make sure that they've built just a well-built plan for themselves? So as a certified financial planner, I'm really passionate about this stuff. Didn't realize how passionate I was when I started going through this certification process. But again, every, every good investment strategy starts with a financial plan. Now, it doesn't have to be written out, right? Especially in an age where tech kind of reigns supreme and it can be you know, a digital plan. It could be a plan that you write down personally or with your advisors, just a couple bullet points. Everyone's plan is going to be different. It can be very simple, could be very complex, depending on your net worth, your wealth, what kind of debt you have, things of those natures. But I'll give you kind of a, a brief breakdown of some things that you can go through like a checklist. 
So number one, before you start investing, or if you started investing, go back to this step is having uh, an emergency fund, a rainy day fund. So, you know, in our CFP certificate realm, we always say if you have one income, a single income or two incomes with a big discrepancy, like somebody that makes a lot and a little and might not be as stable of an income stream, have at least six months of your fixed and variable outflows of your expenses. So fixed outflows, think of your normal bills that are the same each month. Variable outflows, we always say give a little bit of grace, right? So whether it's going out to dinner, drinks, shopping, trips, whatever it is, give yourself some wiggle room in that variable outflows. Combine the two, it'll kind of give you your total outflows per month. Save up six months of that. Now, if you have two stable incomes, your your partner, your your husband, wife, whoever you kind of share the, the duty of responsibility of bills with, whoever it may be, three months is usually sufficient. It could be more, it could be less again, but at least three months for two incomes, we'd say. So rainy day fun, always have that. Uh, Also get rid of debt, obviously, especially in interest rates these days, right? Credit cards, even car debt, whatever it may be, the less debt you have, the more successful you're going to be. Now debt can be seen as bonds or use debt in real estate. There's different avenues to use it, but in terms of personal debt, wipe it out. Cash is king, right? Beyond that, then start contributing to a retirement plan, whether it be a Roth IRA, uh, if you're under the income limits, if you're over the income limits, then do a traditional IRA. It's going to lower your income for the year for your tax implications, could lower your potential tax burden. Or if you have a 401k, start contributing, at least get the match, right? It's, it's free money. And then once you kind of start maxing that out, whatever it may be, then you can start doing the individual investing, the non-retirement accounts, or even breaking it up into different buckets, whether it be a down payment on a house or a car or a boat or whatever it may be, right? Whatever your goals are, that's where you can start having fun with it. Like, all right, this is my fun money. I want to put it into, you know, 5% into crypto or, you know, I want to put it into Amazon or Microsoft or whatever it may be. So those are just some of the basics. Obviously, it can get a lot deeper than that, but at least I think the listeners can can go with those step-by-step instructions and be pretty successful with it. Yeah, I thought was super helpful. And another interesting topic is thinking about wealth transfers and how over the next couple of years or decades, it's going to greatly impact millennials. Can you talk a little bit about this? Absolutely. We'd love to, Rebecca. So an interesting statistic that I saw recently was there's going to be between 30 to $68 trillion that transfer from the baby boomer generation to Gen X and the millennial generations. Now, what does that mean? So how can we incorporate that into our plan? You know, a lot of people that I come across do not take this into account. So you have a lot of baby boomers that will pass away and then all of a sudden there's really no estate plan. It's really important for families, whether if you come from a, you know, a well-off, family or you have parents that have, you know, substantial amount of real estate, whatever it may be, where you have a large estate to start planning for that before they pass away. Because you don't want to be in a situation where, let's say, God forbid something happens to whether it be a relative or family and, and for the estate and they have no strategy put in place, they have no trust, they have no liquidity in their estate. So you have, so for example, in the US, I'll just use the United States as an example. Each person in the US has an estate exemption of $12,060,000 for the year of 2022. So for example, you know, Mark has that, I have that. You would have that if you're a U.S. resident and citizen. You can pass as much assets you want to your spouse. So that doesn't factor into that. But if something were to happen to the both of you or to you and you weren't married, anything over that $12,060,000 exemption is going to be taxed at a 40% rate, which is not good, right? I mean, who wants to be taxed 40% on their hard-earned money? So then we have to start thinking about liquidity. You got a large real estate investor. I know real estate investing is very popular. It's great. What happens about those taxes that you owe or that the estate would owe, which gets passed on to the the executors of the estate and to the the funds or the assets that are in that estate that have to pay that, right? If you don't have the liquidity, how are we going to fund that? Again, that's something to think about. Creating the trusts, ABC trusts, having them flow through and being able to utilize bypass trusts and and fund exemptions to make sure that you can mitigate as much of the 40% tax penalty that you would come across. And again, gifting plays into that because you have $12,060,000 of gifting available for your lifetime besides the yearly exemptions. So utilizing that as well to get assets out of your estate. So again, all things to think about for millennials or Gen Xers that are going to be getting a bunch of wealth in the next few years, the next decade. And uh, I would encourage them to, to talk with somebody about it or talk to their families, at least trust attorneys, things of that nature is really helpful. 
Yeah. And to reiterate, I think no question about it. And those are conversations that you need to have with your parents. And those I've seen so many times where it's how important it's been to have those good discussions ahead of time. And nobody wants to talk about those things, but it's really important to make sure you got all your ducks in a row. I mean, you know, I got five millennial kids and they all got families and they're, you know, I tell them, you know, you better, nobody wants to think about death and creating trust and things. But what happens if something bad happens, you know, who's going to take care of the kids? Who's the executor? Who do you trust to be the guardian of your children? Those are all important things for you to line up. Also, life insurance. Another, we didn't talk about that, but I mean, that's really critical for young parents and at least get something covered to replace lost income due to death. So not popular things to talk about, but again, part of the game plan is to cover all those things. So you you got a full arsenal of opportunities ahead of you and you kind of thought through every kind of situation. And so that's kind of the game plan idea, right? And to be able to adjust to what life gives you. So uh, that's all important. And so, yeah, get after it. Don't wait too long. Good thing to do also at the, at the end of the year, going into a new year. Yeah, I'm so glad that you touched on that because we haven't talked about that yet on the show. And that is such an incredible amount of money and it might not impact everyone, but it's at least good to be aware of that and to think about starting to plan for some of those things. Because like you mentioned, no one ever anticipates that or expects it. And if it happens, then you'd rather have a plan already in place. And to kind of wrap things up today, the last thing I want to chat with you about is it's an important topic heading into tax season here. So as we're thinking about this new season, what are some things that investors should be thinking about or review in their portfolio or investment strategy as we're in this new year? So year end, uh, we're doing a lot of this right now, especially again in you know some of the areas of like fixed income, which has gotten hit this year. Even if you've had fixed income for a while, you know we're still at, at a, uh, some lows. So one thing you can be doing in here is tax loss harvesting. It's a great time of the year to if you've got losses in taxable type accounts. That uh, means non qualified that are you know not IRAs and things like that. It's a good opportunity to take some losses by selling stocks and or funds or whatever you have um, that you're invested in. And you can do that, you know, if you have ETFs or whatever, you can move from one ETF to the, a similar ETF and take a loss. And at least that'll help you on your taxes. So we're tax losses in here are really a good opportunity to be looking at that and trying to take advantage of that. Other things are retirement plans, those opportunities like those 401ks. I just had a client, he's got a business and he's, we said, well, have you maxed out your retirement this year? And he said, no. And I said, well, man, call your HR department and make sure you get that mag, like Jason mentioned, that free money, get some matching and make sure you get that, that in before the end of the year. And then another situation where you're setting up for small companies, you know, SEPs, things like that. There's certain types of plans like simples that need to be set up before the end of the year. So just things like that, you, you know, that you want to look at. Other things was uh, charitable giving. It's a great time for tax write-offs. This is a great opportunity for you if you're, you're so inclined to give some money away to get some tax. And I don't know the tax situation in Canada, so I may be off here, but I know in the States, you could get write-offs for giving money away to your church, synagogue, nonprofit, whatever. It's a good opportunity to do that. And highly, and I highly recommend doing that. I think it's a beautiful thing, especially this time of year, is to be a giver. There's a lot of joy in that. And uh, you, you make yourself a lot, you know, you look at your portfolio, may not be so happy, but sounds crazy, but give some away and you're going to feel a lot better because <laughs> it feels good to be a giver. So those are things you can do, some ideas that I would recommend late in the year here. Yeah, just on that point, if someone is in a higher income bracket and they're really looking for some write-offs to reduce their taxes beyond, I guess, the losses, is there anything else that they can do or it's charitable giving would be one thing? Is there anything else that you could give them for tips that they could reduce their taxes? Uh, it, you know, it depends on their their tax situation with, for example, if they have their own companies, right? SEP IRA is a great way to, to again, lower that potential tax burden, tax liability that you have. You don't have to contribute it to it by year end, at least here in the States. Again, not familiar with your tax laws, but you can you have up until tax day to, to stash away a significant chunk of, of a net operating income that might be sitting around that's going to flow through to your individual tax return that you might not want. So that's a good way to do it. There's again, retirement vehicles are a great way to potentially lessen your tax burden. Charitable giving, 501c3s, donor advised funds, 
giving to those type of things where you can get an immediate tax write-off where you don't even have to know exactly what you're passionate about. Maybe there's an investor out there that's like, man, I made a ton of money. I'm going to have a lot of taxes this year. I don't, you know, year ends coming up. I don't have like a specific cause that I'm passionate about. Donor advised funds are a great way to get an immediate tax deduction. It goes in and it actually can be invested as well. And so you can actually have capital appreciation within that as well. So you're actually, let's say you give 10,000 bucks, you know, by the time you actually give it to something you're passionate about might be 14, 15,000. So it actually is the gift that kind of keeps on giving per se. And there's a ways to do that. It's a great way to, to figure, to lessen your tax burden as well. Wow. Yeah. That's a really interesting strategy. I haven't heard of that before. I'll have to check if that's something can do in Canada as well, but for investors interested to learn more about you guys and the work that you do, where can they connect with you and learn more about everything that you guys do? Yeah, they can, uh, they can visit our website, boyerfs.com. We've got some great kind of, we call it the war room. We've got some great uh, blogs that we write on, whether it's a year end checklist, like that we talked about some great kind of, we do what we call the Boyer brief, which is our version of like kind of like a monthly synopsis of big topics, YouTube videos, things of that nature that are pretty interactive. So that's probably the hub of where things live. Our YouTube page, again, Boyer FS, Boyer Financial Services. And those are the main two places, Facebook, Boyer Financial Services, even LinkedIn as well. We put all of our content on all of our social channels. So it's very easy to access. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks, Rebecca. It was great chatting with you. Great to be with you. Thanks for having us. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss a new episode. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you left a rating or review. This really helps support us and is the best way to help new people discover the show. And if you haven't already, make sure to sign up for our free newsletter, We Study Markets, which goes out daily and will help you understand what's going on in the markets in just a few minutes. So with that all said, I will see you again next time. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.